This is Matt. I'm the lead pastor at Westminster Baptist Church. Thanks for engaging God's word with us. My prayer for you is that this would be supplemental to your discipleship journey. Uh, If we can connect you with a local church or discipleship group, uh, please contact us at info at discoverwbc.com. It's my privilege to be with you today. I look forward to worshiping. I'm so glad I have the opportunity to worship with you today. And uh, to be back in a familiar position, uh, uh, sharing God's word with you. I appreciate so much uh, Pastor Matt, Pastor Glenn, Pastor Bill, and all that they do in our congregation, uh, giving leadership to our church. And as I look out over this uh, auditorium, there are just so many new faces in our church, which is exciting to see uh, over the last several years since I kind of semi-retired. I am now serving as the director of missions for our association of churches, about 50 churches here in central Maryland. And I just uh, want to thank Westminster Church for uh, your participation in the work of our association. We are involved in bringing together pastors for fellowship and prayer supporting our pastors, supporting our pastors' families. We work together to plant new churches, and because of your involvement in the Mid-Maryland Association, uh, we are planting three churches this year. Uh, Currently, Imago Day Church with Jeremy Jeremy McKinney, who is the pastor of that church, and Andy Greenfield, who is the pastor of Village Station North Church, which is in Baltimore, And a third congregation will be planted this year in Clarksville, uh, Maryland. And that is in cooperation with the Southern Baptist Convention, Baptist Convention of Maryland, and our Mid-Maryland Association. Uh, We're also working together with churches who are without pastors. There are three churches in our association that are without pastors right now. Uh, Hampstead Church, um, Metanoia Church, and Elk Ridge Church. And I encourage you to be praying for these congregations as they are seeking new pastors and as we are trying to help them work through that process. Uh, Also, we are working with consulting with churches in regard to the church health and uh, working with them to uh, discover ways that they can more effectively uh, be healthy congregations uh, uh, serving Jesus Christ. So uh, again, that is uh, the role that uh, uh, I have been in in the last few years. Uh, And it is uh, just so exciting to see how the church is growing during this time. When my wife and I, Diane, uh, come to church, we usually are in the eight o'clock service. There are many familiar faces there, but uh, it is super to see that God is at work in our congregation and God is using our church. And we just pray for uh, our pastors here uh, just every day for, for uh, this church to be a true lighthouse, continue to be a true lighthouse in our community. This morning, I want to uh, share a message with you um, concerning life purpose. What is our purpose in life? And I I'm sure that every Christian would say, I want my life purpose to reflect the love of God. I want my life purpose to glorify God. And yet sometimes um, 
other life purposes sometimes crowd out that overarching life purpose. Uh, ask folks, what is your life purpose? Some will say, well, you know, family is number one. We, we, we want to do everything for our family. Family is number one. Uh, I remember when my youngest son, Ken, was about 20 years old, uh, you asked him what his life purpose was. He says, I don't think it's fair that retirement is for old people. Retirement should be when you're 20 years old, when you can really enjoy it. And his life purpose was one day to just be able to be retired at age 20. I said, you've got a long way to go, son. Uh, what is your life purpose? Uh, is life purpose all about um, success? Is it all about growing a business? Is it all about uh, uh, gaining influence with others? For some people, it is all about gaining power and influence. How do we keep our life purpose to give glory and honor to God in the forefront of our lives every day? Uh, it is a challenging thing for each of us. And this morning, I want to um, share a biographical sermon, a sermon about a character in the New Testament whose name is Philip, and to uh, see how this was a man who glorified God in his life and uh, to kind of use him as an example of how we might glorify God in our lives. And uh, if you have your Bibles, if you have your iPads, whatever you may use to turn to the Scriptures, I'd like for you to turn to Acts chapter 6, which is the first place in which, in Scriptures, in which we come across this gentleman, um, Philip. He is one of the seven that are uh, called by the early apostles of the church to minister to the needs of folks who were being neglected in the church, widows and orphans, especially those who uh, spoke Greek. They were Hellenistic Jews, which means they were Greek-speaking Jews, that they were being kind of overlooked in ministry in the congregation. And so the apostles called out seven men to specifically meet the needs of these Hellenistic Jews. Philip is one of them. And uh, as we'll read later on in Scripture, Philip also is given a nickname, and his nickname is the Evangelist, Philip the Evangelist. And we will see how uh, that bears out as we look at his life, as we kind of flip through the book of Acts. So uh, let's have a word of prayer as we look at the life of Philip and maybe learn some lessons from him about giving glory to God in our lives. So Father, we just thank you for the opportunity to gather here today. We pray your blessings on each person in this room. I thank you, Father, that you have called us together as a congregation to worship you, to praise you. Thank you, Father, that uh, for the leadership of this congregation as they serve so faithfully. We lift up Pastor Matt as he is recuperating from COVID. And Father, we pray that your, your spirit will lead our, the, in this message today, that your word will come through, and that, Father, uh, today you will be honored in all that we say and do because it is our desire, Father, to live for a higher purpose, a purpose that gives glory and honor to your name. We pray this, Lord, in that glorious name of Jesus. Amen. I'd like you to turn to 
uh, Acts chapter 6, and we're going to start reading with verse 1. And again, here we read of the first time uh, in Scripture where we read of the life of Philip, anything about Philip, and which he, is, along with six others, are called to serve the Hellenistic Jews. So follow along as I read Acts 6.1. In those days, as the number of disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint among the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distributions. Then the twelve summoned the whole company of the disciples and said, it would not be right for us to give up preaching about God to handle financial matters. Therefore, brothers, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we can appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to the prayer and to the preaching ministry. The proposal pleased the whole company, and so they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, who is the subject of our message today, uh, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. They had them stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So we see in this text, these seven men are called to minister specifically to the Hellenistic Jews, particularly the widows who were in the church of Jerusalem, Greek speaking, who perhaps because of language barriers had felt like they were being uh, 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 neglected. And uh, these seven men are called we're, to, to minister to them. Notice that uh, these men have certain qualifications, uh, men of good reputation, full of spirit, full of, the, full of wisdom. These are men that are respected in the congregation to minister to these needs. And most of them have um, Greek names and so probably are, are able to minister uh, to Greek-speaking folks. And of these seven, two are, we have a bit of information in the scripture text, particularly about two of these men, Philip and Stephen. Uh, let me just briefly mention something about Stephen before we continue on with our study of Philip. But Stephen, in the next chapter, chapter seven, we read about Stephen, who is the first Christian martyr. He is stoned to death for his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we should understand that Stephen and Philip, they have been called together to minister to the Greek-speaking Jews in, in the church. So they have been working together. They are co-workers, partners in Christ, uh, probably friends with one another, certainly relying on one another to work together in a common ministry. And when Stephen is stoned to death, you could be pretty... Um, I think it would be safe to say that, that, that Philip would grieve greatly, would be uh, uh, just uh, overwhelmed by the injustice of the whole situation, that it would be a, a, a huge moment in his life in which he saw evil uh, 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 appearing to overcome uh, uh, Stephen in that great battle. We know, of course, that, that Stephen is raised to heaven and is not defeated, but it, it could look like a defeat. And so you can imagine this was a very trauma, traumatic uh, situation in Philip's life when his co-worker, his friend, this 
partner in ministry is killed for the faith. We also should remember, and this will be a significant point later on in our sermon, we should also remember that when Stephen was martyred, there was an individual there, a young man named Saul. And Saul, we are told in chapter 7, was consenting to the death of Stephen. In fact, all of those who were throwing stones at Stephen had taken off their outer garments. They had given them to Saul, and Saul was watching over them or guarding their, their garments. So we see how there is present at Stephen's stoning this individual named Saul consenting to his death. Saul, of course, later becoming a persecutor of the church. Remember, he was on the road to Damascus. We'll read later uh, in the scriptures how he was on the road to Damascus to imprison and to kill Christians because they were followers of the way. This man was at Stephen's stoning. Philip, I'm sure, would be aware of that. Well, these seven men are called, Stephen, Philip among them, and they are called to be involved in a caring ministry, particularly for widows, but also widows, orphans, the needy in general, who were of who were Greek speaking. And I think it is significant to realize that for Philip to be called to this position, to accept such a position, Philip uh, had to be a person who, who had a higher calling than just meeting the needs of his own self or his own family. He was concerned about the needs of others. He had a higher calling to glorify God by ministering to others who uh, in this world were weak, those who were in need. And I think it is one of the great, one great calling of Christians that we need to have a concern for those who are poor, the needy, those who are genuinely in need, those who, widows, orphans, we need to be ministering to those persons in, uh, as a ministry of the church. It's one of the greatest ways that the church can show the love and the compassion of Jesus in our world today. And Philip was a person who was committed to this. He was not all about himself. He was willing to be used to minister to the needs of others. We discern that from chapter 6. Um, he had a higher in purpose in life than simply to look out for number one. And I would encourage you to consider how does your life stack up to that simple concept? Uh, what, is, what happens in your life by the way, I have sinus issues. I am not COVID. <laughs> I do not have COVID. But boy, the sinuses sometimes do their trick. Um, how do our own lives stack up when it comes to uh, being concerned about the needs of other people? You know, obviously, Philip, Stephen, these men must have had a generous heart where they were genuinely concerned about the needs of others around them. And I think as a church, uh, treating those who are genuinely need with respect, helping them, uh, not making them feel second-class citizens because we're helping them, what a valuable ministry that is in the church. How does your life reflect a concern for those around you, those who are in need? Uh, you know, perhaps one thing that 
Christians might do is kind of uh, say, you know, hey, uh, I, I want to show this world. I, I want the world to know that I care. And maybe uh, one of the ways that we could do that is to really consider doing a selfless, God-honoring act of mercy towards someone every day, striving to do a selfless act of mercy, a selfless thing, giving of yourself to others. It, it might be uh, writing a note of encouragement. It might be uh, sending a card uh, uh, for, to someone who is sick. It might be making a, a phone call. Uh, it might be uh, a stranger in the, the grocery store helping them out. Uh, Philip understood that he was called to a higher purpose than just to live this world for his own self and his own family. And his ministry that he was called to in Acts 6 gives indication of his desire to do so. Well, the next place we see Philip is in Acts chapter 8. In fact, most of chapter 8 is about uh, Philip. And I'd like you to turn to Acts chapter 8, verses 5 and following. And we know that, God, that Jesus had called his disciples to be witnesses unto all the world. He had called, you know, the Great, the great Commission uh, to make disciples, to baptize folks, to teach them to observe everything that God has, has uh, uh, taught us. That Great Commission was part of the, the, the work of the, the church to go out into the world and to spread the gospel. The early church didn't do that at first. They stayed in Jerusalem. However, chapter 7 of Acts, when Stephen is martyred, that encouraged many Christians to leave Jerusalem and to go out. And many Christians fled Jerusalem and they started taking the gospel messages primarily to other Jews and other regions, to Egypt and up to Damascus and so on. But Philip does something really interesting. He leaves Jerusalem and he chooses, rather than to go to other Jewish folks sharing the gospel, he chooses to go to Samaria. And we're reading about this in Acts chapter 8, verses 5 and following. He chooses to go to Samaria, which is one of the least likely places that any Jewish person would wish to go. Uh, because Jews and Samaritans hated one another. Jews believed that Samaritans were, uh, had false religion, false faith. They were, uh, by, uh, uh, by ancestry, they were part Jewish and part Gentile. Because of that, the Jews considered the Samaritans to be half-breeds, great prejudice against the Samaritans, but Philip chooses to go to Samaria sharing the gospel. Let's read what the scripture says beginning in verse 8. Uh, I'm sorry, in, verse, in chapter 8, verse 5. It says, Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs that he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks and evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. There was great joy in that city. The crowds paid attention with one mind to what Philip said. As they heard and saw the signs he was performing, 
unclean spirits were crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. So Philip has this higher purpose of glorifying God. He wants to share his faith, and he goes to one of the hardest places in the world for a Jew to be sharing his faith to Samaria, and he's very successful. God graciously grants him the authority to perform miraculous deeds. People are seeing these miraculous deeds. They are listening to, their, to what Philip has to say. Uh, there's joy in the whole city because of what Philip is doing. He has a successful ministry in Samaria, sharing the gospel. It is his desire to not just live a life that benefits himself. He wants it to honor and glorify God. Uh, as he is in Samaria, we have a couple of examples in chapter 8 of uh, witnessing, witnessing events that occurred in his ministry. The first we read about in, chap in chapter 8, verses 9 and 25, to 25, uh, that he shares his faith with a gentleman known as Simon the Sorcerer. Uh, some translations use the word magician, by the way. Um, we in the 20th century make a distinction between a magician and a sorcerer. A magician doesn't really claim to have any kind of divine power or anything. A magician simply says, um, you know, this is all sleight of hand. While I'm distracting you with this hand, the card is being pulled out of the sleeve over here. There's always a trick to the magic, and if you learn the trick and you practice it enough, you can do it. That's a magician. A sorcerer, on the other hand, claims that he has some superhuman power or some supernatural power, that he uh, is actually performing truly miraculous type events, that uh, there is no trick explanation for it, that as a sorcerer, he has this special power. And this is what Simon was arguing, that he had special powers. You read in verses uh, 9 and 10 that uh, Simon had practiced sorcery in the city. He astounded the Samaritan people. They were claiming, uh, uh, he was claiming to be somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least of them to the greatest. And they said, this man is called the great power of God. So Simon is claiming, you know, some godly power. He is claiming some sort of divinity and people are even attributing that to him. But Simon, who hears of Philip, see some of the miraculous things that Philip's doing. He is drawn to Philip. And because he sees such miraculous things that he knows that he can't even perform, he comes to place his faith in the Lord, to trust, to trust in uh, Jesus, apparently. Uh, he confesses his faith. He is baptized. Philip has made an impact on this man. Uh, at this point, we have to go a little bit beyond Scripture, though, because we read later on in, in Scripture that, that, that Simon commits a great sin, that Simon offers money to Philip and to the apostles and to other 
religiously. He offers money so that he might have Holy Spirit power to perform these same miracles. And he is told very bluntly, what you're asking is a sin. It is wicked. You must repent, ask forgiveness. And uh, uh, because it is, you know, the Holy Spirit power is not for sale. That sin of trying to gain church privilege or church authority is called simony. It's named after this individual in the, in, in the scripture. Uh, that, this terrible sin. And, and from the scriptures, it's, it's not um, fully explained whether or not Simon's repentance is genuine or not. Uh, he, he asks others to pray for him that he might be forgiven and so on. It's a little ambiguous as to what happens. Later church fathers tell us that Simon was not a genuine convert, that he was wicked, evil. They even use terms like antichrist to describe him. The point that I want to make is this. Philip wanted to live a life with a higher purpose that glorified God. He was willing to give of his life to minister to women and children and those who were needy and poor. He shared his faith in one of the hardest regions of the world for a Jew to share his faith in Samaria. He was faithful in sharing the gospel. It was his responsibility to share Jesus. It is not Philip's responsibility how people respond to the gospel. That was up to Simon, how he responds to the gospel or not. But Philip was faithful. He was sharing his faith. The city is rejoicing. People are joyous because of the message that Philip uh, is giving. And Simon, and, and, and Philip is even, you know, uh, touching people such as Simon in the city. Whether or not Simon is ultimately saved, we'll leave that up to the Lord. But we do know a little bit later in the chapter, there's another person that he shares his faith with, and that is an, a, a high government official from Ethiopia. We will go now to Acts 8, verse 26 and following. And uh, here's what, has, what happens in the text. Philip is in Samaria. He has this successful ministry. Great things are happening. Miracles are taking place. People are getting saved. And God tells him to leave Samaria and go down a lonely desert road. And then he'll tell him what to do then. Philip is willing to give honor to God by obeying even where he doesn't, when he doesn't know what is about to happen. All he knows is I'm to go down a certain road and we'll see what happens. What faith, what faith, man. As he goes down the road, he runs into a high official of, uh, of Ethiopia. This guy is the treasurer for all of Ethiopia, for the queen. This guy has power, authority, wealth. Listen to what happens, verse 26 and following. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, get up, go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert road. So he got up and went. There was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch, high official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. He was in charge of their entire treasury. He had come to worship in Jerusalem. 
He was sitting in his chariot on his way home, reading the prophet Isaiah aloud. The Spirit told Philip, go and join that chariot. When Philip ran up to it, he heard the Ethiopian reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? How can I, he said, unless someone guides me? So I invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the scripture passage he was reading was this. He, has led, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before its shearers, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who will describe his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. The eunuch replied to Philip. He said, uh, uh, he asked, who is the prophet saying this about, himself or another person? And Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus, beginning from that scripture. And as they were traveling down the road, they came to water. The eunuch said, look, here's water. What would keep me from being baptized? And he ordered the chariot to stop. Both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water. He baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, wow, another miracle. The Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. The eunuch did not see him any longer, but he went on his way rejoicing. Philip appeared in Azotus and was traveling and evangelizing, evangelizing all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So we see God has ordered Philip to leave successful ministry in, in, in Samaria, go down this desert road, he meets the Ethiopian, and the Ethiopian is reading from the book of Isaiah, and Philip explains to the Ethiopian, Isaiah is talking about Jesus. He leads the Ethiopian to faith in Jesus. Let me just mention a point here. How familiar are you with Scripture? Could you, if you were in that situation, could you have taken that Scripture to point to Jesus? God calls us to be students of His Word and to be able to use His Word to reach others for Jesus Christ. Philip does this, and the, the, the Ethiopian is amazingly saved. Let me tell you the end of that story. Did you know today, 2022, there is a, I guess we would call it a denomination or a branch of Christianity in Egypt called the Coptic Church. And the Coptic Church looks back to this incident as the incident which led to the foundation of that branch of Christianity in Ethiopia. Um, uh, and, and it is in Ethiopia and Egypt, this modern-day Coptic church. Imagine this. We are reading something that happened nearly uh, 2,000 years ago, and today there are still Christians who are looking back to this moment and saying, that is where God worked to bring about our church today. Wow, wow. Philip has been faithful. He's been faithful sharing his faith to non-Jews in Samaria, to Gentile, a Gentile, Ethiopian, and God has used this powerfully down through history. There's one other place that we read about Philip, 
And that's in Acts chapter 21, verse 8 and 9. Here's the last place we read about Philip. And these two verses are utterly amazing to me. Acts 21, 8. We read about Paul and his traveling companions, Luke and some other traveling companions. They reached Caesarea. Now remember the last time we spoke about Philip, he was miraculously transported to Azotos and he proclaimed the gospel, evangelized all the cities until he reached Caesarea. So the last place we came in contact with Philip, he's in Caesarea. Now we're reading about the apostle Paul and his traveling companions who come to Caesarea and they stay at the house of Philip the evangelist one of the seven. This is astounding. Because remember, the Apostle Paul used to be called Saul. He was that guy that was persecuting the church. That guy that was on the road to Damascus, you know, to imprison Christians and to uh, even have them killed where God intervened and led him to Christ. So, Paul was that guy named Saul who stood by holding the garments of all of those who were stoning Philip's friend, co-worker, partner in ministry, Stephen, Paul was there at the very time that Philip's friend and co-worker is being murdered. And now Philip is inviting Paul <coughs> to sneeze. No. <laughs> oh, usually when I sneeze, there's three or four more that come in a row. Hopefully that won't be the case. Uh, and, and, and Philip is now inviting Paul, this former persecutor in the church who murdered his best friend, who was involved in murdering his friend and co-worker, is now inviting him into his house. This is the power of the gospel. This, is the, this shows the, the forgiveness that comes about through grace in Jesus. No matter what one has done in the past, Jesus Christ overcomes through his death and resurrection, his death on the cross and his resurrection. Jesus overcomes even such great sin as this. We see here that Philip is willing to host this man in his own home now as a fellow worker. And remember, Philip was the guy who kind of laid the path for Paul. Philip was the guy who took the gospel from the Jews to non-Jews, the Samaritans. Philip was the guy who took the gospel from, uh, to uh, a full-fledged Gentile, the Ethiopian. And that's what Paul's ministry was all about, taking the gospel to the Gentiles. Philip's ministry was the precursor to what uh, Paul's life was all about. The gospel had brought these two men 
who had had such different backgrounds, God has brought them together and has overcome this great divide between them through the power of the gospel. Let me say to you that when we seek to live for a higher purpose, glorifying God, you never know what kind of miracles are going to take place because we have served God together. Uh, The results of Philip's life are just amazing. An entire city of Samaria was filled with the joy of the gospel. The nation of Ethiopia was changed forever. Uh, We read in this same passage, 21.9, that that Philip has four daughters who are prophetesses. Uh, His desire to glorify God was not just desire to glorify God in public, but in his home life. He glorified God to the point where he trained his children up in the gospel and in the word of God that they were able to expound on the scriptures and share that with other folks. His life of glorifying God made amazing difference in this world. And I would say to you, when you desire to glorify God, you never know how God is going to use you in miraculous ways to touch the lives of others. Now, Philip has had a couple thousand years of head start on us and the effect that he has had on others around us. But I want to, I guarantee you that when we strive to honor God in all that we do, it will have an effect, eternal effect, because every person whose trust and faith has been placed in Jesus Christ, there will be eternal effect from that. I know Pastor Matt uh, often talks about gospel responses at the end of his services. Let me just suggest a couple of gospel responses as we look to the life of Philip, some gospel responses that uh, we can take in our own lives to help us live for the higher purpose of glorifying God. First, I think any gospel response pretty much has to start with prayer. But specifically, I would say, we need to pray that our personal relationship with Jesus Christ becomes so precious, so real, so treasured, so valued in our lives that our desire to honor the Lord isn't fulfilled through a sense of oughtness. You know, I ought to pray. I ought to read my Bible. I ought to share my faith that rather than our glorifying God come out of a sense of oughtness, that it come out of a sense of personal overflow of the joy that we experience in, in, in relationship with Jesus Christ, that because we realize how great is God's love for us, how great is the Lord's love for us, that out of that overflow, we, we, we can't keep quiet <laughs> telling other people about Jesus. And that's the prayer for my life. I'm, I don't want to live under a burden of ought. I want to live under 
the joy that comes of knowing that I have this precious Savior who loves me, and because He loves me so, I can't help myself but share my faith with others. Pray that our relationship with the Lord be so precious. I also think that a gospel response is to be open to to God opportunities, to divine appointments, such as that road, uh, such as that uh, uh, meeting with the Ethiopian. Be open to opportunities. Every morning when you go uh, get up in the morning, you have no idea what is going to happen that day. But when we come together and recognize that, that God can create these divine appointments, we need to allow, we, we need to be open to them, looking for them, watching for them so that we might use them. And finally, I encourage you to be proactive. Desire to selflessly help someone to the glory of God each day to touch someone else's life because life is not about meeting our own needs. It's not about just number one. It is about showing others, sharing with others that there's a higher purpose in life. Glorifying God leads to true joy and peace. Let us pray. Our Father, we just thank you that we can gather together in this place, worship you, praise you. Father, I know it is the desire of every Christian really to live to a higher purpose. Help us to do that in practice day by day. Help us, Father, to realize that uh, you are number one in all of this universe. Help us to carry that to, to pr in practice day by day. Make that be so, so that others may come to know the love and the joy, the peace that comes knowing you as Savior. This we pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. It will be my joy after this service to speak with any person in this room who does not know Jesus as your personal Savior and Lord. My joy to share with you how you can have that joy of how God can work through you to build his kingdom. May God bless you all have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more about following after Jesus, uh, please contact us and we would love to talk more about your relationship with Christ and how you can grow in your spiritual journey.